0: Welcome, everybody, to our very first bonus episode of Inside the Hexagon. Thank you for joining us for this unexpected drop. Uh, but John S. Nash, longtime MMA journalist, is my guest today. He's written for Bloody Elbow since 2009. Very intelligent man, very well-spoken, uh, well-researched. I'm glad that we were able to have him on the show. Uh, on the today's show, we are going to be discussing Alix C. And we're going to delve into uh, its Force partnership with Strike Force. If you remember on this week's episode earlier uh, that was dropped on Monday, uh, we talked about Shamrock versus Baroni, that Strike Force event that followed Elite XC's initial event, Destiny. We talked about the relationship between Strike Force and Elite XC and the involvement of Frank Shamrock, who had signed with both promotions. So we delve into that. Uh, we also, on today's episode, talk about Gina Carano joining EliteXC. XC. Uh, we talk about broadcast. TV deals being secured with NBC and CBS, uh, Dana White negotiating with various networks on behalf of the UFC, that final ill-fated Elite XC event featuring Kimbo Slice versus Seth Petrozelli, which almost ended up being Frank Shamrock versus Kimbo Slice, so we, we jump into that, uh, Strike Forces acquisition of Elite XC, there is so much to get to on this bonus episode, so without further ado, let's get to it. All right, on the show with us, we have longtime MMA journalist John Nash. John, uh, how you doing, man? And 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 what's what's going on with you?
1: I'm doing pretty good. I'm still out in Los Angeles dealing with the coronavirus shutdown, but I'm still working, which is good. So, yeah. I'm I'm a fortunate one. I'm still editing mostly a uh, court television shows, so.
0: Okay. Well, I, besides your your court t- television uh Stuff you're obviously, as I mentioned, a long time MMA, MMA journalist. You've been with Bloody Elbow for what 11 years now, long, long time,
1: something like that. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I didn't get a plaque or anything for my 10th year, so I forgot. <laughs> so I'll have well, to they, talk to Nate about that.
0: Yeah, i say Nate and Wilcox owes you then. Um, all right, well, being that you've been with in you know part of the sport for such a long time, uh, even going back beyond that, I believe I, I wanted to talk to you about the, the background of this Elite XC Strike Force. Uh, partnership and kind of take us back to that time frame. Um, as you know, you know, our show, we were walking through the major milestones and moments uh, of uh, of strike force and, you know, this Elite XC partnership, while I, I don't necessarily consider it to be you Know the uh, it was, it didn't end up panning out as big as I, I think that they expected it to be. Um, I do think it's worth you know discussing and kind of going through. So, let, let's talk about the background of Elite XC a little bit. The promotion was owned by Pro Elite, which had been around for a long time. I think uh TJ Thompson was the head of it and he ran the Super Brawl uh, events in the in Hawaii in the early 2000s, which were you know pretty big deal. A lot of big name fighters that that went through there, but uh, this. The, the, the promotion was announced in November of 2006, and its first event, Destiny, uh, was to take place on February 10th, 2007. Now, just three days before the event, the promotional partnership between Elite XC and Strike Force was announced. And in that press release, it was made clear that Frank Shamrock was going to be kind of the center of the deal. And there was a quote in there that said Elite XC and Strike Force to promote fights together featuring uh, Frank Shamrock in that first official co-promoted event between the two would be Shamrock versus uh, Baroni, which we actually just covered on our show this last week. So I know I kind of gave a kind of a mouthful there, but just kind of give us your perspective, you know, when this was all announced and kind of where Strikeforce was at, um, you know, what were, what were your thoughts? And, and what do you have to share with us about that?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting because the merger wasn't like it was organic or anything. The merger was basically forced on them because of, because of Frank Shamrock. What had happened is Strikeforce had started, you know, they go back as a kickboxing promotion back in the 90s with uh, Scott Coker, and they've been trying to get an MMA, and finally when Mixed Martial Arts was sanctioned in California, they were able to hold their first event in 2006, and the, the promotion was basically built on the back of Frank Shamrock. He was the big draw, the big name in the area. Frank, uh, Scott Coker knew they could sell tickets based on him, so he signed a promotional agreement with Frank Shamrock. Well, then what happened is Elite XC, because of the boom of UFC on Africa and Spike with pay per view, they decided, Pro decided to get into the, to make a big splash in the business to get into with Elite XC and sign and cut a deal with, uh, with Showtime. But one of the things they needed were big name fighters they could promote. So they went out and signed Frank Shamrock. And um, the fortune for them is that Frank Shamrock was already signed to Strike Force. And so to use them, they had to make, do a co promotion. And Frank will claim that, all oh, was his plan all along to kind of merge them together so they could compete at the UFC. I don't think that at all. I think Frank made a deal because he was going to make good money in the Bay Area, but saw another opportunity that because a cable channel, you know, Showtime was getting involved in MMA, saw another opportunity signed there. And then because of that, and they all wanted to work with Frank Shamrock because there was very few big names outside the UFC, they had to find a way to work together. And that's what brought Strikeforce and Elite XE together.
0: So kind of a more of a marriage of, uh, I guess confused. it was a shotgun marriage. Let's put okay. It that way, right? All right. There you go. All right. Well, you, you mentioned the the Showtime deal now, Gary Shaw was the main figurehead guy over at EliteX. So you had Doug DeLuca who actually DeLuca is actually an executive producer. For, I don't even know if you know this, but Doug DeLuca is actually an executive producer for the Jimmy Kimmel show um, at this point now. But, uh, but back at that time, he was involved in MMA and Gary Shaw as I mentioned, was, was the kind of the main guy, the, you know, their Dana White, their Scott Coker's basically very controversial guy because he was a boxing guy. So two, two kind of questions here. One, I, this is more of an assumption, I guess, than a question, but I assume that they got the Showtime deal because of boxing and Showtime. There's a long relationship there. And so I, I assume that they made that deal there, but beyond that, uh, what was your impression of Shaw and, and Elite XC at that time? Was this, you know, Hey, this is, you know, they got some big names or the, you know, they, they got Frank. And so they're going to, you know, this is, they're going to make, a, make some waves here. They're going to hook up with Force and, and, you know, seen as a a viable contender to the UFC, or is this just another promotion popping up like the IFL?
1: Well, it's, I, it's hard to say exactly because I wasn't, you know, you don't, you'll hear from all different sources, what was going on. My impression though, Gary Shaw was instrumental for them getting the Showtime deal because he, Because he was a boxing guy, he was a known commodity, they looked at him like, oh, here's a guy that might be able to accomplish this. Now, you year from other sources, people worked that Gary didn't really know anything about MMA. He was basically, he was there just to get him on Showtime. But a lot of people also will credit him some very smart things, that he was the guy that really pushed women's MMA, that he saw an opening there. So when you get when Elite XE was pushing Cyborg and Toronto, a big part of that was Gary Shaw. He saw the opportunity there. But on the other hand, he obviously didn't really know much about MMA. There were other people involved. It was a – I mean, there's there's people that – when you talk to people that were working with them, I mean, one guy like Sam Kaplan, his – he'll tell you that Gary Shaw thought MMA was like boxing and that he didn't quite – he thought that if you own the promotions, you automatically got their fighters. And so they'd go out and get all these promotions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the the a lot of the contracts weren't even transferable. Mm. So it's like they're 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 spending way too much money on other promotions. I don't know how much you can blame me on that on Gary Shaw. I also think that was the whole thing of of being a a, a a company, a traded company. Because they were trading and people were investing, they were expected to spend this this equity. And so they went out and started buying up promotions to make it look like they're doing something, but it was a waste of money. I mean, if people aren't familiar, Elite XC spent they went they lost, I think it was eighty some million dollars total in the few years they were around. Yeah, that's and right. Almost all of it was on badly uh i guess just poorly thought out purchases of other mma promotions Hmm. because they would spend millions on these promotions become partners and then realize oh, these contracts are not transferable they're not long-term contracts these fighters so really we just gain the name and no one cares about these other brands no one cares about mc spirit in korea no one really cares about icon in hawaii right you know so you're you're so you're trying to bring in all these promotions and it's not adding much so I mean, we go on. There's a whole bunch of talk about LXC, but they had a bunch of problems. They were poorly thought out. Uh, there, there, there were people who claimed that the whole purpose was to bring in money and and so that the the heads of it, the guys that were running it, could just get big paydays, which mm. is, might be true because if you look at their their SEC reports, there was a lot of money going out to the guys, the the executives, that mm. that promotion.
0: So there was a lot of a lot of money waters, basically. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, it's it's it, it kind of the worst of everything. You, they they had kind of a good idea, but they they were flush with cash. Uh, they had no real way to make as big a splash in MMA as they wanted to, and so their their MMA operation, the revenue coming in wasn't covering their expenses. And on top of that, that even though they had all this money they could have spent on fighters, they were spending it loosely on promotion stuff to make it look like they were growing, I guess, so they could sell to more investors to get more equity. And then on top of that, uh, the guys involved seemed to be intent on cashing out as fast as possible.
0: Mm, just a very bad recipe, it sounds like. And you mentioned Sam Kaplan, who I believe he was Bellator's first matchmaker. He was with Bellator. If he wasn't there first, he was with them for a long time, a long-time MMA guy that... Um, I don't think he's in the, in the sport anymore, but, um, and then I also believe Jeremy Lappin was one of, one of their guys and he was, I believe he was the California State Athletic Commission was with them. So they you know, they tried to bring in some, some MMA people, but so I, I don't know that they were staffed poorly, but, but it sounded like everything else was planned pretty badly. Um, but r- regardless of all – oh, and we also have to mention Gary Shaw was uh, one of Dana White's favorite <laughs> targets for <her>. uh, <laughs> Dana does well when he's got a, somebody he can butt heads with. Uh, and, you know, since uh, you know, since Bjorn is, you know, no longer the head of, of Bellator, it seems like he doesn't really have that. So he kind of tries to find guys, and Gary Shaw was a big, big target for him. So I, I, I remember some quotes from that
1: time. Uh, my favorite was Gary Shaw's son.
0: Uh, Oh, uh, Jared Shaw.
1: Jared Shaw. Skill Skill or whatever he is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, which I tried to, you know, in, in prepping, prepping for this, I tried to find uh, Jared. I tried to reach out to him. The last I saw was he was trying to do some boxing stuff uh, as far as like managing boxers a couple of years ago. And I haven't been able to, I wasn't able to find any contact info or anything like that for him, but that would have been an interesting conversation. Um, but but anyways, getting back to this, so we saw uh, the main event of Destiny that first uh, that first event that we were talking about, and Frank Shamrock was supposed to take on Henzo Gracie, and this was going to be, uh, you know, Frank take it on another another Gracie. He'd beaten Caesar pretty soundly the year before, and so now he's going to take on Henzo, who's a lot more experienced. An MMA, so going to be a, a tough, a much tougher fight. And the first round was was Henzo doing his thing, and, and but then in the second round, Shamrock gets DQ'd for knees to the head of a grounded opponent. Very controversial ending, and just you know that's your first event, and that's the way it ends. I mean, that's you, that you couldn't ask for a worse ending, pretty much, um, f- for an event. So not not exactly a great start for Elite XC. But you mentioned Frank. Uh, you know, Frank, is, is he's always made money. He's always done really well for himself. We interviewed Coker in our first uh, episode of this podcast, and he talked about the relationship with Frank and how, you know, yeah, exactly what you said, that it was really built on him. So, uh, But it sounds like he didn't actually really let Frank go to another promotion. It was more Frank went and signed his own deal and just kind of tried to to bring them together. But uh, you know, Frank's reputation, I mean, he had just come off sell, selling out the HP Pavilion and, uh, you know, with Caesar and just everything that had gone from there. Like you said, kind of one of the most bankable stars outside of the UFC. Uh, was this booked correctly? I mean, do you think Frank was the guy to, to hitch their wagon to at, the, at this point or, or was there, you know, were there any other, any, any other options out there?
1: I, I think Frank was the best option. I mean, the, I mean, the problem they had is that Frank was such a kind of a name with the Shamrock name. And, and was known as the best light heavyweight in UFC history at that time and everything, that there was other people were going to be interested in too. And in Strikeforce, as much as you know, Scott Coker needed Shamrock to sell at the HP Pavilion. He he was just a limited. He still was a regional promoter promoter, and yeah. so he couldn't. Other people could offer Shamrock more at times. So he always had to deal with, you know, the op Shamrock wanted to keep his options open. That's understandable. And yeah. in the end it worked out great. It actually worked out great because even though he had to share him with Elite and I'm sure it was a headache, eventually it's that relationship that got him in the door to showtime.
0: Yeah, yeah, which we're gonna we're gonna get to that. Um you mentioned Gina Carano. I Gina had a uh, had a fight in Strike Force before she went to Elite XC, she had a four-fight stint um, with Elite XC, and that's really where she became a huge name, which allowed her to come back to Strike Force and do the, the cyborg fight, which was you know the first uh, first female MMA, um, you know, or first first MMA event to be headlined by a female fight, uh, at least here in North America. I mean, huge, huge fight that really, really put MMA for women on the map. Uh, but after such a well-received fight with Strike Force where she took on Elena Maxwell and beat her, it's kind of interesting that that Coker let Carana go to, to Elite XC, despite the fact that he continued to do uh, women's matches. Just kind of give us a quick overview of. Kind of, you know, where women's MMA was during this time point. I mean, they were just just getting going, and and still not. I mean, this is still at the time where Dana's swearing that he's never going to do women's MMA and that sort of thing. Was that something that it, you said, Gary was Gary Shaw was really looking to build on top of women's MMA? Kind of give us a little bit more of an overview
1: of that. Well, I mean, we got to give a lot of credit to Hook and Shoot uh, that promotion because that was uh, they were had they were having all female cards, they were doing a bunch of stuff, but it wasn't it wasn't huge yet. What what Elite did is Elite took women's MMA and put it on, the, on a major MMA promotion, gave it national exposure. And I, I give Gary Starr credit because he saw, he recognized that there was a, a potential star, Gina Carano. She was very attractive, very charismatic. I think that's part of it. And he also saw that there was the, the audience seemed to be interested when there was really vicious women's fights. And so he, he put those, you know, just it came to him and he, he said, hey, I'll put it. I mean, we shouldn't take away The women were performing. And because they were performing and some of them had charisma and, and star potential, the opportunity was there. But give Shaw credit, he recognized that the women had talent or that they had the potential that audiences would, would enjoy it. So Shaw put it on Elite XE. And eventually, when it got to Showtime, that was the first major event ever uh, headlined by women. But I do believe Hook and Shoot used to headline with women's fights before.
0: Okay. All right. Fair enough. And very, very well respected, long time promotion. I don't think, um, I don't think they're around anymore. I think they closed down. And I believe one of the 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 promoters died sat, uh, tragically and all that stuff. If I remember correctly, but a uh, long, long history with lots of fighters that you would recognize today that went through that promotion. Um, but jumping back to this, you know, we had saw Shamrock versus Baroni. Very, very entertaining event. Did well at the box office. Almost ten thousand in attendance at the HP Pavilion. Uh, sold some some pay-per-views as well and uh, all the main card fights ended in a finish shamrock baroni itself is one of my favorite fights to watch i really really like that so it seemed like the partnership between these two promotions was off to a good start but then they wouldn't co-promote any shows again until march 2008 with shamrock versus lee Uh, but in the meantime both promotions they're busy putting on their own events while working on broadcast tv deals and we essentially kind of talked about this. So give us an historical perspective. In February 2008, CBS and Pro Elite announced a partnership that would see four Elite XC events on network TV annually. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's MMA on network TV. I mean, th- how massive was this for the sport of MMA?
1: It was, I mean, you can't underestimate how big it was at the time because it, it, it gave a promotion besides the UFC national exposure. And the big thing at the time, MMA, everybody was always clamoring for respectability for MMA that it, to be become accepted amongst the mainstream. And here it is on the Tiffany Network on a, a primetime Saturday night, mainstream exposure. Hmm. I mean, that was the MMA coming to the masses. Now, now a lot of the hardcore fans were not happy with who they chose as the, the poster child for it. But still, it was you know mainstream MMA. You couldn't ask for anything bigger at that time.
0: Well, it's, and it's, you know, we got to talk about Dana's relationship with some of these because obviously, you know, you have Spike TV promoting the ultimate fighter. You have Dana, uh, you know, Dana's got to want to, has to want to be getting on, be able to get on network TV too as well. And I read that some of the network execs didn't want to deal with Dana. I mean, at that point, you know, he's, he's still foul mouthed to this day, but he said things that were, you know, very, um, controversial to, to put it lightly that, you know, would not be acceptable and especially today's PC culture at all. So I wonder how much of that versus somebody like Scott Coker, who's much more agreeable or somebody like Gary Shaw who has, you know, has relationships there. So, uh, but regardless of all that, just a few weeks after that announcement is made, Strikeforce announces a deal with NBC that would put taped fights from past Strikeforce events on late night, Saturday broadcast, basically after Saturday night live. Uh, with the thought that this, this was kind of like a, a taste test that they would, you know, maybe might potentially lead to live strike force events on NBC, though, that never really came to fruition. So I, I would say the NBC deal probably pales in comparison because we're talking about tape delay or, you know, taped fights. We're talking about more of a highlight show, but it's still, you know, it's still network TV that could lead to something bigger, too. So it was this kind of a bunch of the the broadcast networks kind of hey this is the new thing and you know you have the writers strike around that time so let's get as much content as we can let's jump in and, and see what we can find is that, is that strike force basically benefiting from that
1: well i think this was more if i remember right it was kind of a time buy at first they were getting late night uh, the with the with the silicon valley partners he this is just about right then was when he signed a partnership with the silicon valley uh, talking about sports, talking, uh, about, Coke. talking about coker yeah, scott coker sorry yeah. and we should go back to i should mention too that that shamrock versus brony fight the, one of the best things about it it showed the why they wanted champ everybody wanted to work with shamrock the, the the promotions that he did on youtube promote that fight mm.
0: oh Basically, yeah that oh, drew all yeah. the interest
1: he, he put it did a master class of trash that's talking right on
0: YouTube. i forgot about that so you just said that that's at, yeah he did some like character like almost like sketch type stuff he would sit with
1: smoking a cigar just riffing about how dumb baroni was and making fun of him and stuff and then and then during the fight he did the whole thing where he's gonna put you to sleep the sleeping thing that's
0: one of my favorite things of all time
1: so he was he was a consummate showman and that's where shamrock people people might not know but at the time he was just a world-class trash talker Mm -hmm. he really knew how to sell a fight he knew the psychology everything from the whole you know from his pro wrestling uh, i should say uh from his uh, uh, Pancras, which is, yeah. you know, basically Japanese pro wrestling. He knew everything about how to sell the fight. His, his Japanese background gave him a lot of uh, insight in how to do this. And he, and he ran with it. He was, and, he, and he studied, he was a student of boxing and stuff, and how people would, you know, would play with their opponent's mind, but also get the audience intrigued. So he did all this stuff. And when he finally got the Shamrock for his lead, he did the same thing. Remember, he came out with the – he became – he was the guy – uh, supporting the 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 sharks, the hockey team. Right. He was the local homeboy. Who wanted to make it, but he right. was the bad guy too to the Asian community. Right. I mean, it was just, just a great way to sell yourself in the local market. But to get back to this, uh, at the time and to the after because Coker was having such success at so uh, at the SP Pavilion, the owners of it, the owners of the San Jose Sharks too, the Silicon Valley Sports and Entertainment Group. Right. They offered Coke and decided to get in and do work together. They wanted to expand nationally. Now they weren't going to be their original plans wasn't to be huge, you know, to be like a, a UFC competitor like what Strikeforce ended up being. But they saw a lot of potential and they thought they could expand. But one thing they wanted to do is they were recording the events. Let's put them on uh, NBC to get national exposure that people in other markets can see it, and that way we can take Strikeforce eventually and start going into other locations, which they started, you know, they were at that time they started doing expanding out of the Bay area. They went to strike force of so the dome was one of the first ones they did. And they started trying to kind of build up a circuit of cities they could go to. So they, instead of just having a few shows a year in the Bay area, they could start, you know, doubling, tripling the number of shows around the country.
0: Well, it, and it seemed to be working. They were doing, you know, they were definitely doing pretty well um, and, you know, getting a lot of support, but elite XC, unfortunately, you couldn't say the same thing for them. They would not last much longer um, despite all these acquisitions and co-promotional deals we you know we mentioned uh, some of they worked with some others were cage rage um, dream and affliction I think they bought cage rage and then dream and affliction were co-promotional deals like with strike force uh, but there was you know as you kind of laid out for us from a business perspective they were spending a lot of money uh and, and it didn't sound like they were spending it very well and so financial troubles of course start cropping up and and then we have the final nail in the coffin was the infamous kimbo slice seth Petrozelli belt on cbs so let's kind of delve into that a little bit and forgive me i'm going to kind of lay this out but this is just i mean it's like a movie script i mean you have a promoted made event between kimbo and ken shamrock so ken shamrock one of the most marketable guys uh, in UFC history, uh, you know, credited with Tito for really kind of saving the UFC in the early 2000s and, you know, done all these big time things. He went to WWE, very successful, or WWF at the time, very successful. But unfortunately, he suffers a cut the day of the fight, and he's pulled. Ken's adopted brother, Strike Force star Ken Frank Shamrock, who was actually supposed to do commentary for the event, offers to step in as a replacement. Then Jared Shaw, who we mentioned earlier, he's the Elite XC VP and the son of Gary Shaw. He claims that Frank offered to take a dive against Kimbo, which Frank, you know, vehemently denies. It said that never happened. So Frank's out for whatever reason that, you know, probably couldn't get licensed that quickly, whatever it was. So undercard fighter Seth Petruzzelli agrees to step in, ends up knocking out. Uh, Kimbo in 14 seconds and then the on top of all that the week after the fight Petrozelli says the quote the promoters kind of hinted it to me and they gave me the money to stand and throw with him they didn't want me to take him down let's just put it that way it was worth my while to try to stand up and punch him or sorry, try to stand up, punch him, end quote. He later walks us back saying it was just, well, they were just saying, you know, normal fight night bonuses uh, and the Florida state athletic commission investigates and finds no wrongdoing. Now the show does phenomenal draws an estimated four and a half million viewers is the most watched fight in MMA history at that time, but ends up being the death knell for elite XC. They can't you know recover from all the financial, I don't want to say impropriety, but all the financial decisions that have been made. And they really, they do one more event before closing up shop. So, a very, very um, <laughs> memorable ending for, for Elite XC, but kind of give us your your memories around this and just kind of wrap up Elite XC a little bit in a bow uh, for us based on, on all the stuff we just described right there.
1: Well, I mean, I remember the event. I, I, strange enough, I was out that night uh i had a date or something I, I was meeting her at a um where where, where was it again casa vega hey, it's uh, in com-
0: miami right
1: no the, oh, this, yeah, oh, the oh, you, was you, in you, miami but i had a date i <laughs> went to casa okay. vega <laughs> and so i was at casa vega watching the event uh live at the bar and i didn't realize this is it, it when my date showed up she explained to me who i was sitting next to i was sitting next to the who's the guy that used to date he had a uh, Nick Lachey, I think it was, he had a, oh, a uh, ninety eight
0: degrees with someone like said he had, he had yeah. his
1: own like uh, reality show. Yeah,
0: with Jessica Simpson. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So he was on one side of me, and Bobby Brown was on the other. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know Hollywood, and I had no clue. But we watched the fight was playing, and we were, la- you know, and they they didn't quite know what was going on. You know, a lot of guys, people behind me were swearing it was fake or whatever. And I'm like, no, nope, that's just the way it went. But I, I, I vividly remember that because I you know I watched it there, but it was a, it was a disaster for, but it really was just the, I mean, Elite Xt had built up a lot of problems. They'd spent, they'd gone way into debt. Showtime was getting tired of them because Showtime was supporting and saw that they were financially struggling so badly, and you know, we you know, obviously Showtime didn't wanna didn't wanna invest more. They were actually they invested into Elite Xt. And so they didn't like where they're going, uh, and on top of that, one of their their major draws that they'd built the promotion around had just got embarrassed. Yeah. So that was the end of them. But, and while they were ready to pull the plug on Elite, Elite had made a mistake because they were so intent working with Shamrock. And because Shamrock was signed to Strikeforce, so they had to co-promote with Strikeforce. Showtime got to meet Strikeforce, Scott Coker and the crew. And when they went to the HP Pavilion to do uh, Shamrock versus Lee, they were blown away by the, the show that they got, they got from them. The, the production values were, they thought were incredible. The, you know, the, what the Coker was able to do filling the arena, much, much bigger audience than they ever could get for any elite XC show, right. a better production value, everything about it just felt like a big show that they then, and they realized how much fighters respected Coker and all this other stuff. It's like, well, elite XC is a problem, but we met someone that could take over for him.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you bring up Coker. I, I, it's, I mean, I've gotten to know Coker pretty well or fairly well over the years. I'm not going to say we're best friends or anything like that, but you mentioned the respect that fighters have for me. I just imagine putting myself in the shoes of Showtime officials and I'm, you know, been dealing with Gary Shaw. And then I get to know Scott Coker, who's just extremely professional, very friendly, you know, very likable, very, very well-respected, you know, long, very well-established within the combat sports industry. I mean, that's my guy. Like, that's, that's who I want to do business with. So that, that seems to make a lot of sense. And a few months later, that's exactly what happens. In February 2009, it's announced that Scott Coker and Strikeforce had acquired both fighter contracts and the CBS Showtime broadcast deal. I mean, you know, obviously financials are not released, but that's quite a coup. I mean, quite an amazing acquisition there. Fighters coming over to Strikeforce, uh, were announced to be Kimbo, Gina Carano, Nick Diaz, Eddie Alvarez, Robbie Lawler, Jake Shields, and there's going to be some others that are going to be revealed. Just a huge boon for Strike Force. Uh, Kimbo and Eddie Alvarez never compete for, for Strike Force. Instead, Kimbo ends up going on the Ultimate Fighter. But at that time, again, kind of some historical context, how big of a deal was it for Strike Force to be able to get, I mean, the Elite brand didn't mean anything, you know, anymore. Uh, There was no, you know, name value there really, but the fighter contracts and probably even more so the CBS and Showtime deal, how how big of a, uh, how big of a win was this for Scott and, uh, and Strikeforce?
1: I mean, it was huge for Strikeforce because first they, the, the Showtime deal was big, but they also, they got a better deal than Elite XE. They got to renegotiate it Hmm. where Elite XE got very little money off the deal. Strikeforce got a a more higher uh, revenue or higher license fee to be on Showtime. And on top of that, they even got a higher deal than on the CBS. For CBS, I think it was basically nothing for Elite XE. Where Strikeforce, they didn't get paid as much as they did on CBS because they used his promotional tool. Right. But they got they got more than what Elite XE got, that's for sure. Okay. So they got a better TV deal, they got a better package. And on top of that, they needed fighters And so they got the pick of the best Elite XC fighters. Yeah. Uh, and that was it was it was actually there's questionable they'd get them for a while because during the holdup, a group of managers got together. Right. And they teamed up with Rob Macy, the guy that ended up suing the UFC for the antitrust violation right. and founded the MMAFA and, and mm-hmm. trying to lobby Congress for the ALIAC. And they were going to sue uh, Elite XE and Showtime to release those fighters.
0: Right, so they can fight and make some money.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then finally they, they sold the deal and a lot of guys dropped it because they, the, they found out they're going to strike force. So the, it was all settled. But up, up until then, there was, you know, there, was, there was a possibility they would have lost all those fighters.
0: And it was also a big deal because, you know, they, again, kind of built their name on, on talking about strike force on Frank Shamrock. And, of course, they were developing their own guys, Gilbert Melendez, Josh Thompson. They, I mean, they had guys that were, uh, you know, they were building up to be their big stars. Kung Lee, of course, you know, really been their breakout guy. And Kung had beaten uh, Frank. And, again, one of my very favorite fights to watch, just a, a great fight. But, you, you know, you need some Franks getting up there in age. You need some guys that can step in. And so you bring in guys like Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz who have some national reputation to me they're going to be more valuable than a guy like Kimbo even though Kimbo is going to get the eyeballs in the long run guys like Nick and Robbie and Jake Shields and some of the others that they got and of course Gina Carano I mean those are those are some some pretty big cornerstones that you can you know really build up on so uh definitely a huge deal big win for them and it's kind of interesting and as we kind of bring this to a close it was announced uh recently that um the uh, that Bellator is not going to be on the Paramount network much longer, and there's talk that they're you know kind of backroom talk that there may be some interest from Showtime getting back into MMA. That's probably all just rumors at this point, but you point back to this relationship starting you know what we're talking 2007, 2008, at the now into 2009 at this point, you know, we're talking 11 years ago, and and now that you know that relationship might be bearing some fruit once again, uh, for Scott Coker, so kind of small world and kind of what goes around comes around and, and, you know, you know, those relationships you build in your career, they, they come back. So well, I guess we'll see, I guess we'll see what happens there, but, but definitely uh, a very interesting chapter in strike force's history. Uh, something that ended up having a big, big influence on them and, and ended up being a great benefit to them. So, uh, John, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're on Twitter at HeyNotTheFace, uh, one of my favorite uh, Twitter handles <laughs> out there. Pretty awesome. but uh, And, you, of course, you write for Bloody Elbow. Is there anything else that you want to mention or anything else you want to promote as far as what you're involved with?
1: Well, I guess uh, for MMA-related stuff, I mean, I'm sure people don't really – if you're into court t- television programs, you know, tune into, the, like, Judge Maybelline and uh, Justice for All and uh, and America's Court with Judge Ross. But anyways, but for <laughs> MMA fans – uh you can i you can find me my stuff at bloody elbow i I release not a lot i don't write a lot but i do part-time but i have an article or a couple articles a month and then on top of that i appear on uh, bloody elbow radio once a week on care don't care show where it shows you how bad i can mangle people's names (laughs) and every other week i'm on if the shoe fits with uh lexi old and eugene s robinson
0: Okay. Oh, you man, on, Eugene. The,
1: on, on that, we don't talk fighting. It's all politics and stuff. So, if you want to get angry, that's <laughs> probably the show to.
0: Yeah, I know Eugene a little bit from my days uh, in MMA back back in the day. Man, he's yeah, he's all over the place. So that's 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 a blast from the past. I haven't heard his name in a while. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. um All right, well, one final question before we go. Just ultimately, just kind of overall, what is what is history and MMA history and your your perspective?
1: Well, in my perspective, they were, they were really a blip, but for that blip, they were the, the biggest rival. I, I don't want to say direct rival, but the biggest rival the UFC really ever had in America and North America. Uh, they, were the, they were the most successful non-UFC promotion up to maybe Bellator now, because Bellator finally has started making money. But they, they were generating more revenue, did bigger gates, had more interest in their shows, had bigger stars better talent than any other promotion in North America besides UFC uh, and and probably the history of MMA. I
0: I think that's a fair assessment. And as much as I could be a bit of a fanboy for Strikeforce, man, I worked for them for a while. They were, you know, I'm born and raised in the Bay Area. So I I maybe look at them with a little bit of rose-colored glasses sometimes. But you can't deny the impact that they've had. I mean, even today, I mean, they've been out of business for seven years and you just had Daniel Cormier just – retire this weekend as we record this uh, you've got uh, Robbie Lawler and um, oh now I'm blanking on his name another another strike force oh Anthony Lionheart Smith two guys that fought in strike force that are still competing today it's you know it's it's pretty amazing to see the long-term influence and what's still going on and you'll still see strike force come up on twitter i just saw chris cyborg tweet about twitter not you know not long ago when they were talking about bellator versus ufc fighters and that sort of thing. They had a, one of the grappling tournaments recently, where they had Team Strike Force, Team WEC, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, I think you're spot on. I appreciate your perspective. I appreciate you kind of taking us back and walking us through some of the business side of this. Uh, but, but I appreciate John. Thank you for joining us on Inside the Hexagon.
1: Thank you for having me. It was fun.
0: All right, I want to thank my very special guest, John S. Nash, for joining me on today's bonus episode. Remember to follow him on Twitter. Again, a very smart guy. Uh, really dives in on, on the business side of MMA, so worth the follow on Twitter. Uh, also worth checking out his writings on uh, Bloody Elbow and other sites. Uh, just just a great a great guy to be involved with. So make sure you check him out. Also, make sure you check out our next episode because on this coming week's episode, we are going to talk with the man, the myth, the legend, Frank Shamrock. That's right. Frank is going to be on the show. It's going to be awesome. I had a great time talking with him. We talk about the Elite XC and Force deals, uh, and then we dive into the Phil Baroni fight, one of my absolute favorites. Uh, we, we dive in on his training, how he tore out his knee training with Team Quest, how he dealt with that from a mental and a spiritual aspect. The fight itself, how he was gaining more and more confidence as the fight wore on, uh, and then the aftermath, the fallout of the fight as well. It's really, really good stuff. You are not going to want to miss it. Uh, We also talk about his career a little bit. We talk about uh, what if he had fought Anderson Silva when they were both middleweight champs and and all that. It's really, really good stuff, so you are not going to want to miss it. Uh, we appreciate you following us on social media, on Twitter, and on Instagram at Inside the Hexagon Pod. So make sure you check us out there if you aren't already. And then you can reach me at phil at com. We would love to hear from you. Any feedback, suggestions, etc. cetera. We'd just love to interact with you. We'd also love for you to continue to help us spread the word, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you listen to this, uh, please do rate and review us, spread the word, let other people know about the show. Uh, It's, you know, this is a show that is for, if you're an MMA fan, if you want to understand the history of the sport, uh, this, this is the show for you. There's not a lot of options out there like us. There's not a lot of other shows that are doing what we're doing. Uh, So please make sure that you check us out uh, and, and let other people know about us as well. We would really, really appreciate that. Uh, But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy, and we will see you soon.